0: Hey there, this is Ryan. Uh, I just wanted to say before we started that this episode includes a discussion of the death of Kobe Bryant, as well as Kobe Bryant's uh, sexual assault case. Uh, So if that's content you might find disturbing or uncomfortable, uh, it might be best to just skip this one. Uh, Thanks, and thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Oklahoma Drill. Um, It's just Alex and Ryan today, uh, and we're going to be talking through... There's not a ton of OU news, but there's big OU news, which is we're in a weird spot in terms of that because, um, you know, OU hired DeMarco Murray as running backs coach and Ruffin McNeil is stepping away from the program, but that's pretty much it. Um, right. But um, in addition, so do you guys, do you want to start with that or do you want to start with like the um, the actual sports news that happened this week?
1: Let's let's start with the OU stuff.
0: Okay. So, um, yeah, Demarco ahead. Murray, um, former NFL offensive player of the year, uh, long time uh, dude. <laughs> it's Demarco Murray. You guys know who Demarco Murray is. Uh, yeah. I think he's he's still use all purpose yards career leader, touchdown leader as well. So. Touchdown leader, yeah, and he's. Uh, Was hired from his position, uh, doing the same thing in Arizona, uh, to the OU coaching staff following, uh, the poaching of Jay Bowler. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, I guess that, that should be the big thing. Like we just need to have like a celebratory moment for not having Jay Bowler be our running backs coach anymore because the guy was kind of not good at it. Um, Like the thing that I'm going to say about DeMarco Murray is that like as a running back coach, you essentially have one job and that job is to bring in elite players. And at OU, your job should be relatively easy. It's you know, it has it doesn't have like the claim to running back you, but it has.
0: No, but what you're saying as an like as an OU running backs coach is, hey, come play where Billy Sims and Adrian Peterson and DeMarco Murray. Yeah, and you know, like four Joe Mixon. current NFL running backs yeah. played. Like, right?
1: Yeah. So it it theoretically we should it should be a really easy job to pull in big time recruits. And like, we haven't like the last top fifty guy that we got at running back was Joe Mixon. Like jay Bowyer yeah. Neville never pulled one in and. You know, there are stories that he was just notoriously bad at recruiting big time players and that he would he would put them under unwarranted pressure to commit to OU and then kind of turn them off like, oh, you might if OU had a competent re- recruiting guy at running back or let's just say Kale Gundy, oh, um, mm-hmm. you might have had J.K. Domins and Noah Kane in their backfield this year and that's a different right. football team you're talking about that's it, a, yeah. you know what I mean? so it's it it was a neat it was a much needed change and i'm glad that texas got to feel like they they pulled one over on ou oh we went into ou and stole the guy i'm glad they get to feel good about themselves they're really good about feeling good about themselves
0: right um as they for stuff the worst that doesn't matter for staff
1: yeah like they're good at that kind of thing um they're kind of moral victories you now um
0: right
1: and it, as i as i prepare to go there next year it's great <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, but i i think i don't think i can look at this as any other th- in any other way than it's an upgrade like it might not be it's not a, like a sure thing higher and i don't think they hired him as a like he's definitely not an established coach and it's definitely not a sure thing But as far as upside goes in recruiting the running back position, I don't think you could get much better than what they've got right now.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah, it's – (laughs) yeah.
1: I mean, just think about – just think about the the cachet he's going to have with with recruits. Like this guy – Played in the NFL as recently as 2017. He was a, a rushing champion, I think, in 2014 in the NFL. Like, high school players, you know, high school seniors, they watched him play. Like, they know who DeMarco Murray is. Some of them might, well, probably not, but I was going to say some of them might remember him playing at OU even, even though it's they would have been like eight um, or right. seven. Right, they might, well, like, so, they,
0: they'll, 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 they probably won't remember him not playing. Right. right,
1: yeah, so in, in that sense, it's good. I mean, there's been some talk about how he also is – he's a very well-thought-of football guy. Like, I know – I mean, not to say that Kevin someone's words should be taken as gospel, but, like, Kevin someone was exceedingly high on DeMarco Murray as a football coach, not just, like, as this recruiting force. Like, he thought right. he has a bright future coaching, and he thought yeah. – you know, this guy could be in the NFL in a couple of years coaching running backs. You know, like he's that got that kind of upside. And to me, as a, you know, obviously we love Lincoln Riley. If Lincoln Riley sees an offensive coach that he likes, I'm going to trust him to make a good hire on that side of
0: the football. Right. Um, Kirk Herbstreet praised the hire, calling uh, him calling DeMarco a budding superstar. Which is whatever. Mostly, what that does is make me feel weird about how old Kirk Herbstreit is. That he's talking about Demarco Murray like he's like a child. Um, uh, But yeah, it's it's a situation where, I mean, you know, there's still I think uh, Demarco Murray has a lot to prove as a running back coach. He's a lot to prove as a coach. Um, You know, but there's not. In terms of like starting points for a recruiter, you know, NFL star, um, with, um, you know, multiple professional accolades, um, recruiting his position at his, you know, alma mater. That's a really good starting point as a recruiting pitch. And, you know, there's still work to be done and it will remain to be seen if, uh, DeMarco's the kind of guy who can do that, you know, move the ball the rest of the way from there. But, I mean, there's not a much better pitch than to be able to list the guys I listed, and you're one of those guys.
1: Yeah, so I think there's two ways that he fails at OU. And one of them is he doesn't have the work ethic to be a dogged recruiter that's just out there after guys all year. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so... I don't. I assume that you know that's another place where I'm. I'm trusting Lincoln to know that about him, and you know, hope that he is that guy. Um, he also. I mean, one thing that I know that you know. I think Josh McQuiston made this point. Like sometimes you get former NFL players that when they go to recruit guys, and they know that those guys aren't as good as they were um which there's going to be a lot of guys that weren't as good as DeMarco Murray was right. in high school and you know even as a as a college and pro player it's hard for those guys at times to humble themselves into going into a recruit's home and just making him feel like he's the greatest thing ever which is what right. you have to do as a recruiter
0: right.
1: and you know so i've never gotten the sense that DeMarco Murray's a guy that's just overly of himself like I don't think that that would be I'm not really necessarily worried about that so much but you are gonna have to see it and like he has a very clear responsibility this year he needs to sign at least one high level running back like I think that that's if he doesn't do that yes you might be able to chalk it up to well it was year one but no I think he was hired to sign a five-star high four-star running back this year most notably yeah. kamar wheaton is a five-star from the dallas area so you know that's a kid that watched demarco murray
0: play for right the Cowboys. Thinking, yeah you think about running backs in uh texas and it's like who is like working from a position to make a better recruiting pitch than demarco murray and it's basically zeke elliott um is the whole list so yeah yeah, unless like Emmett Smith
1: were to like come out of it right. you know, wanted to be a coach. Um, and like the the last thing I'll say about Murray is as what I think of him as a recruiter. I, you know, a lot of times when you hire inexperienced coaches, you worry about their resumes getting thrown at them from other coaches. I don't think that's gonna work with Demarco Murray because yes, he doesn't have the resume but I don't think a high school kid is gonna care I think they're gonna be like yeah he hasn't put a lot of dudes in the NFL because he's just started but he was that right because
0: he was in the NFL yeah
1: he's gonna show me how to do what he did and so you're not you know you've got a guy at let's say Clemson who's like well why would you go there you got an inexperienced coach like DeMarco's like I don't think that's really going to fly with, recru- with recruits with him. Whereas if it was just your run-of-the-mill uh, first-year co- or second-year coach, like, then that's a problem.
0: Right. And, like, I don't know. Five-star running backs are, um, you know, they're pretty much good, I think. And I think they have an understanding of the degree to which, like, they're like, obviously they will grow as players be, I mean, because they're (laughs) literally becoming adults, um, in the, as they play through their college seasons. But like, you know, in terms of technique, you know, there, a lot of them are pretty much there. Right. Um, Well,
1: and like, think about like, let's say JK Dobbins, like that guy was awesome this year. Maybe the best running back in the country. Um, that dude was awesome as a freshman.
0: Yeah. Jonathan
1: yeah. Taylor, he had his third 2,000 yard season. He had a 2,000 yard season as a freshman. Like, incredible running backs are incredible from the day that they're freshmen. Like, that's just right. kind of how it goes. Samaj P. Ryan, his best season at OU was his freshman season. Joe Mixon, he could have been a star as a freshman. Like, he. Yeah,
0: it's. The, like, the reality is. Yeah. It, it's these guys come in knowing how to hit holes and right. you know there and there will be, you know, it's the subtleties of the game. And then also like developing in terms of weight. That's yeah. what uh, these running backs are able to do in college. Ideally while taking as few snaps as possible and on their way to the NFL. Like that's, that is unless the path for a five-star. Unless you're path.
1: Chuba Hubbard.
0: Unless, unless you're Chuba.
1: And but you just, like, yeah, you just really love getting killed in college. Um yeah, like I don't know, the the way that OU the OU running back positions kinda operated since Bull, where you haven't necessarily had the guys that are freshmen that are stepping in immediately. It's been like, you know, Kennedy Brooks' second year in the system, he finally developed enough to play and right. you know, Trey Sermon played as a freshman, but like Trey Sermon was always just Trey Sermon you know like he's he's an okay running back he is a nice player but like you're not scared of Trey Sermon when he's on the football
0: field Um, right like and he flourished his freshman year because he was I mean he came into the program as like a capable like pass catching running back yeah come out of the backfield and also like ice fourth quarters
1: he was playing on a team that had the best passing attack in the country behind maybe the best offensive line in the country. Exactly. Like guys are going to do well. If you can play football at all, like anyone, probably that OU would have offered would have been fine in that situation. And I'm just, I've gotten really tired of, of OU not having difference makers guys that, like Lincoln Riley would not have a choice but to get him the football. Like I've been tired of not having those kind of guys at running back and we just we haven't had him since Jay Bolwer took over. And yeah. I mean, I just he was not doing a good job. He was not doing a good enough job. Maybe Jace McClellan was that guy and then, you know, he lost him the week of signing day. So like it's just not to me, I was done I was done with Jay Bolwer the minute Jace McClellan left. Like if you can't pull that guy in who's been committed to you for almost three years, then you shouldn't be the coach at OU. Like you have to bring value to the team that you coach for. And I didn't see the value that the Jay Bolwer was bringing. And right. Yeah. It's, I don't, I don't care about him developing guys that are okay into good. I want guys that are great from the
0: beginning. Right. And it's, yeah, like, that, Nobody was. I, I, you you look at the running backs coming out of OU that played behind these lines that bow put out um, in the system Lincoln developed, and it's like, are these guys like? Are, these guys are like four star replacement level. Like in terms of like, they are achieving success that is sort of to be expected given the quality of play they're getting from the line in front of them. And From the scheme they're in, um, you know, um, there is a, I mean, I think Joe Mixon went beyond that, um, and then this is really embarrassing. The what was the name of the running back from this who blew up in the second half of 2017? And I've completely Bobby, forgotten. Bodney Anderson, that'd be Ronnie Anderson. I don't know why I think. The, here is the, and this is the ridiculous thing, is that I, in my head, I get Rodney Anderson's name confused with Alex Ross. Okay. Figure right. that one out. I, I got nothing. Yeah, I got nothing But no I, I, I I mean, in a sense, that should tell you how surprising the second half of Rodney Anderson's 2017 was, that yeah. I, I had previously stored him in the same part of my brain as Alex Ross. Um, yeah, but, I I agree.
1: Like, I mean, we need guys that change the scheme. You know, like, yes, you're a player that's going to be put in a really, really good scheme. But we want guys that are good enough that the scheme is built around them. You know, that's what we've gotten. That's what CeeDee Lamb was at receiver. You know, that's right. what Marquise Brown was. We've had that at receiver. The second half of 2017, that might have been the best offensive football OU has played. Like, that part when Rodney really got going, like, yeah. we were unstoppable in every way. It was, it was because beautiful. Rod- like, Rodney it, was out there scoring four touchdowns and halves. Like it was he had multiple halves where he scored four touchdowns. Like yeah. that's the kind of player that we need. Like I am I am tired. I like Kennedy Brooks. He's a nice player, but like when I see that guy not able to get outside on LSU linebackers, I'm like, he's cool, but like we need better. That's that's really all there is to it to me. Like if you can't break outside on an outside zone run on Calevon Shashan then we need someone else. Yeah. And I understand how good Calevon Shashan is. Like, I get it. But I there should not be a defensive player that can track our, our best running back on an
0: outside zone read like that. It just shouldn't happen. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is the best offensive scheme that has maybe ever existed mm-hmm. <laughs> at the college level of football. Um, you know, it's against a defense that will ultimately remember it as being not quite as good as the ones before it. And it got beat.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it really did come down to, you know, players, you know, like the quarterback position, the running back position. We, I mean, granted there was some circumstances that played into that, but, uh, you know, our best, like no matter what we had our best running back in that game and he was ineffective. You know, like that's, we have to get away from that. We have to get, I want five-star running backs. I'm sorry. Like that's, yeah. that's what I want. That's what we just, yeah. that's what well, we, we need. We pulled in,
0: you know, if you compare the success, the receiver position and the success, the quarterback position and the success down the offensive line to the running back position. And it's not the same, mm-hmm. you know, where we have yeah. a year like 2018 at wide receiver, um, well, I mean, you just look at 2018 at every offensive position except running back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: And like, yeah, Rodney got hurt that year. Yep, absolutely.
0: I, um, I mean, I was talking about the recruiting class.
1: Oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Right. Okay.
0: I think what I and what I actually meant was the class of 2019. But here we are. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I see what you mean. Yeah. 2019. I like Marcus Major. I do, but he was a Plan B guy. Like he was he was an in state guy, he was an easy get and he was not a plan A. Noah Kane was the plan A. Isaiah Spiller, plan A. Both of those guys played as true freshmen and did really, really well this year. How nice would it have been to have a guy like that this year? Yeah. Uh, But I
0: mean, you're talking that that class was what? Three of the top five wide receivers, the top tight end, the top quarterback. And some four-star running backs like yeah
1: yeah I mean Ramondre Stevenson part of that class like he's a nice player like I I think we both like him but again he doesn't change he does not change your
0: scheme right and the thing about Ramondre Stevenson is like we like we want to see more of him like the type of player that we think DeMarco is capable of pulling in and that we expect to get pulled in is a guy where that's not even a question, right? Right. Who there's not a situation where you're like, Oh man, I wish he'd get more snaps where it's like, he is getting the snaps because he is doing everything he can with them. And like that much is clear.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's, let's talk about Ruffin. Right. Um, cause this is, you know, this is an interesting situation. Um, you know, I think that the way that it ended, it, it kind of, you know, sucks from a just human standpoint because you've got a guy who has coached for almost his entire life that had to give it up because of a health issue in his family like that sucks yeah um we all know how great a person ruffin is and it's admirable that he is stepping away to go you know take care of his family so that's that's great i also will say like i don't think anybody on this podcast would say that it wasn't time for him to leave because it was.
0: It just was.
1: Like he was not fulfilling a job that, you know, the outside linebacker coach at Oklahoma needs to fill. Like he was you know, they were kind of doing it a man down last year. That's just the reality.
0: Yeah, and like you he was brought on. I mean, partially as a favor by Lincoln, but really as a mentor to Lincoln as he transitioned into becoming one of the youngest head coaches in college football at the most prestigious college football program of the past century. Like, this is so, and I think he fulfilled that role. And, like, I'm sure Lincoln feels comfortable in his position now. And so at that point, the question is, you know, what exactly is Ruffin here for? He's like when this is a guy who was a head coach and was fired in a situation that basically everyone thought was ridiculous and an unjust firing. There was an assumption that he would kind of be interested in moving into another head coaching position. But that's probably I would have, you know, you look at his performance as a coach last year and said that maybe that's behind him. Mm -hmm. And certainly now with this issue in his family, it looks like that's probably off the table as well. Uh, but it's a, yeah, this is a reality, you know, rough and leaving the program. And I think it was a reality that we were all prepared for and that I'm sure in like within the program people were prepared for. Um, and it's, you know, it's sad to hear it come in these circumstances. Um, but yeah, I don't think this is apart from the circumstances. I don't think this is unexpected. No,
1: I mean, it's incredibly interesting to me that we have not really heard any names fly up like, cause with the running back deal, it was like from the start DeMarco, like that was right. the only name we ever oh,
0: heard about it. Right, but at the same time it was DeMarco Murray. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I don't I don't think that OU is going to hire, I mean the I guess the the obvious hire that people have been talking about for a long time that I just don't see is the Chip Viney as the cornerback coach and then move Roy Manning down. I really right. feel like OU's oh, going to hire an actual outside linebacker coach. I don't think they're going to move Roy makes Manning.
0: way more sense, especially given the incredible job Roy Manning did with the corners last year.
1: Yeah. The only way you could, you could justify moving Roy Manning from the position he was in is if you can go hire a freaking established superstar cornerbacks coach. Right, like, like whoever's coaching corners at Ohio State or something. Yeah, which they just got to – freaking monster but um right like yeah go if you could go get clemson's you know corners coach whatever that's the kind of guy you would have to do that because you know it took roy manning this entire year of dealing with all of the negative recruiting and all of the you know he was a new coach he had to develop new inroads and he did an unbelievably good job like all the stuff he had to work against he pulled in a really impressive cornerback class and I don't want that to be restarted, you know, and like if you're to hire a guy like Chip Viney, like you thought Roy Manning was getting hit, like, yeah, yeah. Chip Viney's going to get killed on the recruiting trail in terms of he doesn't have a resume. He taught, he, he taught, he coached one year at Nevada. That's his only year of on-field coaching experience. Like, yes, he's a young guy. He's by all accounts, a great recruiter. He's like really good with relationships, but that's all good but when it comes down to closing guys that's when you have to have the resume that's when that stuff really matters and he doesn't have it roy manning did a nice job of building towards that this year as a corners coach i just don't want to have to deal with that again
0: yeah and it's also like to me that's that's a disservice to roy manning to the work he did establishing himself uh because you know he moves positions and like you know it's not starting from scratch but it's, you know, it's, he's going to have to deal with more of that stuff. Like it's because now, now it's like, Oh, now he's coaching a positioning and coach before now it's, you know, there's, there's going to be so much. And whereas I think the appropriate thing to do is let Roy continue to build what he's done at corner, continue to establish himself as a co- great corner coach and, you know, let him build from there. And yeah. Hire an outside linebacker guy. I don't think, I also think that that's like not a galaxy brain take to hire, just get a good guy. Who's good at coaching the position that you need to coach.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even more than I want a guy who can recruit. Right. Like, I mean, that's, that's more, more important to me than, um, than coaching to even, because think about this position specifically, you're responsible for literally one guy. Like, (laughs) You're responsible for one guy, and that guy is arguably, in, especially in the Big 12, he might be the most important guy on the defense. Right, and, and he's really also the guy, guy,
0: like, he's sort of the running back of the defense in terms of, like, the high-level guys. There's not a ton of coaching you do.
1: Yeah, go get the quarterback. David Aguebu this year, true freshman. Right. Looked great at times. Nick Benito, redshirt freshman. Like... Those guys, that's the kind of players you need. We need a guy that can go get those. And I've, you know, a name that was thrown around quite a bit early in the process was Craig Kuligowski. He's a guy that coached defensive line at Missouri and was producing a lot of high level guys. And I kind of cooled down on him because he's not really known as a recruiter. Um, He's always done that with, you know, he gets the two and three star guys and turns them into something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't want that. I don't want any coach on staff that's like, yeah, I'm a great developer. Like give me a recruiter first other than like maybe Lincoln as the head coach. Like that's the one guy where it's like, yeah, I need a great like in-game coach, but like, give me a guy that can get the guys. I know I'm saying guys a lot, but that's (laughs) the most important thing.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, Also, I think it'd be weird to have so many Missouri ties in our linebacking core. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) that's neither here nor there and yeah i don't and i
1: don't think that's gonna happen kulgowski has been announced officially as the the dc at toledo like i i think that's pretty much sailed i the the thing is i just i don't have i don't have a an answer of like even a name i can't even give a guess of a name of a guy that we're interested in right now right um which is it's a weird spot like it's usually not how this goes but Mm. You know, I'm kind of looking forward to just an out-of-the-blue hire,
0: to be honest. Right. So here's an here's an interesting thought. What's going to... With Aranda going to Baylor, like, what's going on with the coaching, like, with his staff that was at LSU? Like, how much is following him there? You know, what's going on? This is just literally just... Almost pointless speculation is what I'm throwing out here. But we're, we don't have very many topics on this podcast. <laughs> so, this is are you, are you,
1: so you're asking who was Aranda bringing with him to Baylor? Right. Um, I think there's a couple guys I'm not going to pretend to know. I haven't. It's too bad Nathan's not on because he's the one who pays attention right. to this stuff. The closest. Just,
0: You know, I'm thinking of like shakeups in the defensive world of college football that would like generate opening right. jobs. And that's definitely the biggest one. Um, yeah, you know, there's, I mean, there's there, there is a lot of SEC staff turnover right now in terms of right. the Mississippi schools, um, especially. Um yeah. but you know, I don't even know if any of those guys are worth going after given the stateless programs. I
1: think I think that you go after a a Southeastern Conference type player or type coach, like honestly, because yeah. I mean, that's where a lot of those kind of players are in terms yeah, of where just the that position. That's, that's, for that's where the reality, linebackers, the yeah. D line, like. So I would like a guy that's been down in that area and mm-hmm. coached again. I don't have names, you know. Right. So, but that makes sense to me. Or maybe you know, if you want to reestablish yourself in California, there's always good players out in California. Like maybe you go for a western West Coast guy, right. a Pac-12 guy. I don't know, but
0: see if um, somebody's interested in seeing what they can do recruiting uh, not under Clay Hilton yeah, <laughs> yeah right something like that um, yeah yeah this is the thing is like we're talking about like a defensive positional coach um, like I'm gonna need somebody else to generate some names and then I'll look at resumes because there are hundreds of these guys right yeah
1: and I I think that you know this is a position that you know, You're going to want to establish a new recruiting territory, I think, with this position, you know, because you you lost an East Coast guy, you know, for whatever Ruffin was like he was technically an East Coast kind of connection. But I think we kind of had that locked down like Shane Beamer is really good in that regard.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, and Lincoln as well. Yeah, Um, Lincoln, not on the defensive side, but, you know, right. Like, we have inroads into the tidewater. That's not a huge that's not a huge loss.
1: I say I say go go southeast or to the west like that's really the holes that I see on this yeah. staff. So, um, yeah. Anything else you wanna you wanna talk about with with coaching changes? Because I mean, honestly, in a lot of ways, coaching changes are like some of my favorite stories. So like, right. I am a little bummed that we're we're missing out on rumors because yeah. I do I do like wildly speculating. I loved the the Demarco Murray build up like. I kind of I wish there were other names that I could have compared him to because right. I I do enjoy the story process. Last right. year and was the a other, blast yeah. with the the new defensive staff.
0: Mm-hmm. The other aspect of the Demarco Murray thing is that him just like we lost a running back coach and then got a running back coach like no shifts happened like and yeah. it's, I I think we're pretty sure this is just a straight upgrade. Like yeah. I don't think Jay Bulware brought anything to the program that we've lost that Demarco Murray cannot replace and improve. Um, yeah,
1: other than maybe kicker recruiting,
0: right. right. So, right. Ooh,
1: is big. was Burkich a bullwear guy? I have no idea, dude. I don't. I don't care about special teams like that. I understand that special teams is important, right. but I just am not going to use my. I'm not going to put thought into it in the off season. Well, like here's
0: just, the th- here's the thought I will put into it is that was it Jay or Shane who was telling Trey Brown to run those kicks out? Yeah, I don't know. Cause that, no that life. to me, that's, that's, that's the place special teams can improve. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like that's how little special teams matters to me. It's like, I would just rather just fair catch every kickoff. And if you want to do that on punt return too, great. I don't care.
0: You, you right? would care though. No, I remember the Sterling Shepherd years. You would care. Uh, um, yeah. You're
1: probably right. Especially if it's Drake Stoops doing the fair catching. Like I would right. be furious. Put, well, put Jade Hazelwood it, back there. But... Yeah. Oh yeah. You're right. Just put Jaden Hazelwood out there if you're gonna have a guy do fair catches. He has sure hands.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. All right. Let's let's go ahead and talk about a thing. Um, yeah. So obviously the the world of sports and the world itself was kind of changed, I guess, on Sunday. Um. Kobe thing. Right. Um, so. Like, where were you when you found out about it?
0: I was, I had just gotten out of the shower. I was, I was taking a lazy Sunday. Um, uh-huh. You know, I'm doing law school applications and some of the weekends are, you know, a nightmare. Um, I'm going to be done with those soon. So that's nice. Um, but yeah. So, and I just, I looked down at my phone and I, the first thing you see is people saying No right like this is fake yeah and at first i was like well this is probably fake um and and then the uh, it was like oh man the entire world is currently asking if this is fake um yeah so that was that was my experience with it and then i you know once it became pretty clear that this was like this was really something i you know i headed down and i (laughs) told my parents i was like hey i think kobe bryant just died in a helicopter crash yeah um which yeah this just did not sound like a thing that could be true when i said it
1: yeah i i was in denton um kind of on my way home i was in austin on saturday and had stopped in denton and um i was at my friend's apartment you know we were just hanging out i can't even remember we're watching something i can't remember and then i i i actually got a the message from a good friend of the show sam davis um you know it was just like i hope this isn't true you know and it was the tmz report and right. i you know i just looked at it i was like no way because like i mean i don't pretend to know like You know, I know TMZ is is often criticized. I wasn't aware that they're, like, really, really good at doing celebrity deaths, apparently. They're just super Mm -hmm. accurate in that regard. So my first thought was, like, this is stupid. Like, no. Um, And then you go and you see all of the reaction to it. And by the time I had seen it, it was about 15 minutes old. So there was some some sense that this was not fake um, initially. And I wound up sitting there for the next probably two, two and a half hours, just not, I think me and my friend Dave, we sat there and just shock and didn't really talk, you know, like we just sat there in silence. And, you know, my first thought honestly was like, shit, I hope all of his kids weren't with him, you know, like that was. was,
0: Because the reporting on, the reporting was so scarce because yeah. basically what I found out was you know, you hear there, you see the TMZ report, and then you see somebody say, well, there was a helicopter crash, and then nothing for a really long time. And then you find out, like, yeah, and the uh, four other people died. And it, the fact that that number turned out to be inaccurate to me is so strange, but we'll get there. Um, yeah. And you're just sitting there and you're just like, I really hope that that's not like Kobe and his family, you know? Right. Yeah. And,
1: you know, I think that the fact that it turned out to be like, you know, you hear a lot of times, you know, a celebrity dies and it's, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, they did that to themselves you know like it there's some sort of like self-destruction that happened you know and like i the one that always sticks out to me is like quarterback steve mcnair nfl guy he Hmm. got murdered by his mistress and like you know obviously it's a tragic story um but there is a sense of like you were doing something that you shouldn't have been doing in that way um that that led to your death like it just did i mean i'm not saying that it's obviously. Right, it's, either,
0: it's either that or it's like like I think about like when David Bowie died. And it's like, well, this was like a surprise, but once you hear the facts, like you understood that this was coming. You know, that he right. had his ease and that he was that he was dealing with privately and you know ultimately yeah. lost his life. But with this, it's just so out of the blue. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's where it came down to me. Like it just you know, and he had never he really might not have been as relevant as he was since he'd retired because the night before LeBron passed him in points, you know, and you're, he tweeted about like, you know, move the game forward with LeBron. And then like the next day it's like, it's over, you know, and, you know, not just him, it's his, his daughter with him, the, the, Mm -hmm. you know, his daughter that plays basketball, the one that had really, kind of been pegged as the one that was carrying on his legacy and
0: right and i remember reading i think it was probably earlier that week where i read um like a sort of report a report that was like really frustrated with him because he responded to a question about whether he thought she could play in the nba Um, right and he did so in a way that was he, he essentially said that like diana taurasi could play in the nba Right. Um, which is just like in this, like this art was just like, this isn't a helpful argument for anybody. Right. Um. But yeah, so it's just, so that, yeah, it was just, it's weird and sad, extremely sad that um, Gianna was on board with him as well. Like, and, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And just like, they were on a way to the basketball game, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, if you, if it had been something like, Oh, he was with you know, his mistress, like you could make more sense of it that way, you know. But the fact that he's like with a you know, eight other people, you mm-hmm. know, go on the way to a basketball game, there are multiple families on the on the helicopter, like it just doesn't make sense to me. Like it and that yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to. Like
0: that's just how the world works. Um but, but you it, you want it, like what you're looking for in these moments is anything to help it to. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And
1: it, it totally sucks, man. Like I, I have, you know, my, my Kobe fandom has been, you know, like there, there was a point in my life where Kobe was absolutely my favorite player. And, I remember in high school and middle school arguing with people that he was better than LeBron. Like I, I was a Kobe stand through and through like, absolutely. Um, I didn't really know that much about basketball. I loved basketball. I watched it all the time. Um, you know, but as I got older and I kind of started, you know, looking at more stats and just kind of maturing as a person, I kind of grew to like, eh, he didn't really play in, the best way. And he's a little overrated historically. I still was a fan. I still liked him as, you know, as a player. And, you know, the end of his career was also just a disaster. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that part kind of was just like, come on, dude. Um, you know, I was still a fan. I, you know, the night, his last game in the league, I remember where I was. I was also with my friend Dave and we were living in Norman and, you know, we were up late watching him put 60 on, 50 shots against the jazz. Like mm-hmm. I, I was literally jumping up and down when he was at the line to score his 60th point. Like it was, seriously was, um, it was a big moment. And like, I, that's another one. I always remember where I was. And so, but you know, the thing I haven't really felt that connected to Kobe really since then, you know, he kind of retired and just went away and, this I mean this thing hit me harder than any like there's one other thing that's happened in my life that I feel like hit me harder than this you know like seriously and you know I've lost family members that it didn't hit me as hard as this did you Mm know um you know because like a lot of that a lot of times you know it's expected or you know there's just something involved but this was just out of the pure blue and like I went like all I could think about was like all of the games, all the memories that I had, like I grew up as a Lakers fan. My, I started watching basketball the year the Lakers won their first championship with Kobe in 2000. You know, I was six and I remember vividly watching that playoff run and I was huge I was hooked, hooked all the way, um, you know, and I get the whole I understand the um, the sexual assault thing. Um, uh, and I yeah. understand that's part of the, the complicatedness of Kobe. That's part of the, the conversation. Um, I also don't like, I'm not in any way, shape or form qualified to have forgiven him for that. Like, it's not my place to forgive Kobe right. for anything, exactly. but
0: yeah, there's, I,
1: yeah. I, I just, I remember the joy that he brought me when he was a player and like, to be perfectly honest with you, I didn't understand what rape was when that happened right. you know what i mean like i was I remember
0: like, yeah i remember finding out about it and but i, I don't know i wasn't really watching basketball yeah yet. i, I mean, was of course i knew who kobe bryant was but right i was 10 years it, old you know, it, and it was the sort of thing where you know i mean i didn't yeah and you especially didn't understand how it went away in, right popular discourse and you know he kept playing for more than a decade afterwards
1: yeah i mean it is but to a certain extent like that's just how that went back then and really until the me too movement like honestly like that's really how it went and you know and it's definitely part of the deal and i feel i it's a very weird feeling um being as sad as i've been about this. Like, it seriously, you know, wrecked my, you know, last few days for me. Like, I mean, I, you know, I was in Denton when I found out, sat there for two and a half hours, didn't say anything, drove home, didn't say much on the way home, got home. And I like freaking lost it. Like, seriously, Mm -hmm. I lost it when I got home. And I just, part of it was just so surprising to me. Like I didn't know why it was happening, but it just was, Yeah, you know, and that was a very confusing feeling to me. Um, because this is a guy that you're, you're objectively not supposed to like,
0: you know what I mean? Um, Right. And I think, you know, there's a degree to it. Um, like my feelings on Kobe got really weird on Sunday because I mean, I really didn't come into liking basketball until his last season, until 2016. That was when I started really seriously following it. And honestly, I didn't really start until the playoffs, until the 2016 playoffs. So he was a retired player by the time I was really seriously considering basketball. Right, well, that was strange. Uh, Just (laughs) Alex lost my audio on the Skype call. Uh, But we're back. Um, We were talking about, I was talking about, um could you hear me talking about like what my history with kobe was
1: yeah just that you essentially started watching basketball after he um after he was retired
0: right so like to me he was just like i remember kobe for all the weird things he did on the periphery of the game like i think of uh, that time there was like a twitter argument about mj versus lebron and, like, he inserts himself in there, and he's like, there's no need to worry about us. All three of us were great. Like, I remember that stuff. And I remember, um, his, I remember him making Dear Basketball, and I remember him releasing that weird children's book. Um, but, I mean, more than anything, the thing I remember about Kobe was the effect he had on other players. Like, because... Like there's an entire generation of basketball players whose favorite player was Kobe, um, and who approached and it was like this goes beyond basketball players. There's like an entire generation of athletes that def, that used Kobe as their definition of what it means to be serious about athletics. Like the I, like Mamba mentality as an idea is like his lasting legacy. I think honestly. Um, it is just what it means to be an athlete in the 2010s is to be relentless and serious and never satisfied um, and, you know <laughs> addicted to the grind. Um, and so, and I have like my own, I have like a complicated set of feelings about that whole idea, but it's like it was to sit down to notice, the degree to which, you know, every athlete I have enjoyed watching um over the past decade. Every athlete whose play I found inspiring or impressive or beautiful lost the person that they modeled themselves after.
1: Right. Um even even guys like Messi, like it yeah. goes beyond like Mbappe, Neymar, like all of them were huge Kobe fans. Like they're
0: right. You amazing. had like um who was the was it Nadal who was like, yeah, Kobe was my mentor. I think so, actually. Right. So that yeah, like a tennis player being like, all the you know, yeah, Djokovic,
1: yeah, all of those guys. It's amazing. And I, I think part of that is just his his you know his cultural you know diversity that he had like he spoke several different languages he grew up in italy like i think that made him more relatable to people overseas which i think is is cool um but yeah no like i think that one of the things that made me appreciate kobe more um is post-retirement like i mean after he played like It was amazing to see him do other stuff the same way that he played basketball. You know, that doesn't happen with a lot of guys like they a lot of guys kind of wander around aimlessly and they become real curmudgeons that talk about basketball and that it's not as good as it was when I was there.
0: And it would be so easy. It would have been so easy. to
1: Exactly. But Kobe was like probably the biggest spokesperson for the modern NBA game. Like he loved the way it was going. Yeah. Him and Allen Iverson are like the two legends that's like, yeah, basketball is amazing. You know, like they just – they kind of get it. And, and, you know, so that's, that's a big loss for basketball in itself at this point. But just the idea that a guy like that within two years is, you know, winning an Oscar and, you know, doing all of these other things. Like it was – I really grew to like – that is – it's pretty inspiring actually, like honestly. Like it just – The idea that, you know, you think, oh, he gave 20 years of his life. He did what he set out to do to put, you know, to maximize himself as a basketball player. And then like, oh, that's not just him as an athlete. He just is that kind of person. You know what I mean? Like, that's how he is in every facet. So, I mean, that was that was cool to see. Um, You know, I mean, there's obviously the idea like he was very clearly a
0: good dad. Like that's fairly obvious as you you know. And he was extremely invested in his children after his career. And like that
1: is that's really the most heartbreaking thing. It's just the idea that like, you know, three, you know, four people lost, you know, a dad, husband and a a daughter or sister. You know, I mean, like that is it's too much. You know, like I can't like I've lost people in my life, but never two at the same time you know right um uh, so it, it it's unreal to think about but um i mean i definitely i look back on kobe and i i understand the complications that there are with it but right I'm not and, and i'm not i'm not championing him as an amazing person like i'm not that's yeah. not what it is i the things that he did they are amazing like they absolutely are um you know, it's amazing what he did on the basketball court. It's amazing what he did after basketball. Like, you know, there is no denying
0: that. Right. Um, and it's, I mean, I don't think he would claim to be anything but complicated. But at the same time, like, we're gonna like, we're gonna be moving into a period where we have to reckon with exactly what Kobe's legacy is, and. Yeah. part of that is going to be deciphering the ways in which he was very interested in telling his own story about his life, which is both good and also troubling when we reach things like you know, the like I I mentioned the whole Mamba mentality thing, there's a degree to which that was like a marketing campaign essentially for himself like to rehab to like it was there's a degree to which it was rehabilitation after the sexual assault. Um, And that's going to be very messy for the world of sports and the greater world of pop culture and culture to deal with. Um, But, you know, there's, there are going to be people, there are millions of people for whom Kobe is going to mean so much and there's going to be millions of people for whom kobe is going to remain a stumbling block in terms of like yeah they're never going like they're never going to be in a position where they're able or willing to forgive him for what he did and that's totally fair on their part and absolutely that's part of the dealing with understanding who he was um yeah and that's and that's like and that's the complication with him being so influential um is that there's I mean there's the degree to which there will always be two Kobe's um for people and part of that was uh, there's a degree to which that was the way he wanted it to be um and so yeah so it's just uh it's so it's so complicated and yeah I don't... I don't like to hide behind the, like, oh, we need to let people grieve now thing, because I think that tends to be... There's a degree to which that very quickly becomes it will never be time to discuss this. But at the same time, it's just... Some critical distance is going to be useful moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just don't... They're just... Given the reality of the tragedy, like that's just that's just not available to us to m- the people who will be, you know, defining this story moving on. Like that that distance is just not available to us right now because it was so tragic and shocking and sudden.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it and it just also it wasn't just him, you know, like right, it was nine right. people. So it's 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 more complicated than just if it had been him dying you know flying his own helicopter i don't know but anyways um Um. i mean i i mean i've gone back i've watched i've probably watched hours you know 12 hours of kobe reactions from people and i've probably listened to 15 hours of kobe bryant podcasts you know just talking about him and Mm -hmm. just from all different you know sources and like he he impacted everybody. You know, he impacted non-sports people um, in a way that probably very you know a handful of athletes ever had. So um, right,
0: it's yeah. Um, he It is the thing you yell when you throw a piece of paper into a wastebasket, a crumpled up piece yeah. of paper into a wastebasket. It is the thing you yell.
1: Yeah, um, I mean. Yeah, I saw a video of, of Justin Thomas, the golfer, you know, in a practice round yelling Kobe before he tried this insane shot that he had no business pulling off. Right. You know, and he yelled it, pulled it off. You know, like that's that's the thing with Kobe. Let us talk about Kobe as a player real quick since right. I know I know you didn't watch him. No,
0: know, but I mean I have since watched him. You kind you know? of watched him. Right.
1: And the thing that I always come back to, and I've, you know, even recently, you know, kind of talking about, you know, the analytics are not friendly to him. And, you know, they're not like, they don't paint him as a bad player by any means,
0: but they're like... No, but it's, it, that's the difference between him being an all-time great and him, like, believing that he deserves to be in the top three conversation.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. He's not LeBron. He's not Michael Jordan. But my... The thing that I've come back to is that, like, Kobe won more than LeBron has. Um, And I I understand the context of it all. But, like, beyond all of the the efficiency arguments that you can make, like, the guy won five championships. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. in the era in which he played, like, Kobe played largely pre-analytics. You know? Like, it... The way he played was the way that you played basketball, you know, and he was better at it than anybody else except one guy, you know what I mean? And yeah, the way that people have, you know, I've talk, heard people talk about it, like he set out to be better than Michael Jordan at doing what Michael Jordan did. And mm-hmm. he was not as good as Michael Jordan was, but he was better than anybody else that set out to do the same thing, which was right. basically everybody
0: Right, exactly. And I think it's, and this is one of the things to me that makes Kobe fascinating is that he failed at that. Um, because, I mean, he probably, he is not, I don't think he is as influential as if he like were to succeed easily. If he were easily better than Michael Jordan, then yeah. he, I don't think, like, none of the, he wouldn't be Kobe. Um there you know there's an image of Kobe um with him sitting in the locker room in his Lakers jacket holding the trophy and he just looks so angry and it's there's just so much captured in that just the the complexity of the emotion captured in that image is just it's fascinating to me and That comes, I think a lot of that comes from, you know, he won five championships and Jordan won six. And, like, that, you don't know that. And he didn't know that at the time in the photo. But, like, that's a context that adds to that. Um, And he, you know, and that's so much of his game was obsessive in the way like when he talks about how he learned like he studied defending by watching like documentaries on sharks off the coast of south africa like a i don't know if i believe him but b like that is exactly what that is so it's a good story because it embodies exactly what he how he thought about basketball and the approach he wanted to take and that shows in his play in his defense and in his offense is he just had no interest in being he wanted to be better than the guy across from him at everything at all times forever mm-hmm. um and that drove everything about him
1: and i think one thing that i've heard said about him was that like there was no imposter syndrome with kobe like He had planned this out since he was a kid, you know, Mm -hmm. like he, this was, if you had asked him what he wanted to do as a kid, he would say, I want to be the best basketball player in the world and I'm going to be, you know, and like when he got to the point where he was probably the best basketball player in the world for a time, like he, you know, there was definitely no imposter syndrome. It was totally on purpose, you know, like he, um, you know, and, yeah, he did not fully achieve his goals, but he did everything he could to do it. And, like, you could tell that he was pretty content by the time he was done. You know, he had accepted right. that, like, right. I'm not Jordan, yeah. but I did what I could. You know? And I do I do wonder, all right, like, what Kobe – like, the thing with Kobe is that he, he could have been the best at pretty much anything. In basketball he was that skilled and he worked that hard but he just had this idea of of how he had to play which was like jordan Um, right like and i wonder if he had come up in the analytics age like that dude could have been like a third he could have been like probably a more attractive to watch james harden in the terms of the numbers he would have put up like that dude was an amazing passer he could have probably averaged 12 assists a game and you know th- scored 35 a game if he had come up in this era because also the era that kobe dominated in like it was post illegal defense um where you know teams like in the 90s like you couldn't go to certain areas you couldn't double yeah, and you couldn't you do had, all that stuff. well you
0: had to send hard doubles yeah or yeah you or couldn't just like sneak over yeah. yeah like so and like the, the, this is significant because you talk about like the Jordan teams and Dennis Rodman literally standing out of bounds
1: yeah yeah and he didn't play in that era you, you played in an era but there but there were still two bigs on the court with Kobe right. he played in a pre-spacing era for the most part so he was playing like when he was in his prime he was playing with guys like Kwame Brown and Chris Mim, or even on his best teams, he was playing with Andrew Bynum and Pau Gasol. Neither of which right. really stretched out to three. And like, he was still getting buckets without, without really being able to get to the rim like he would have in today's era. And, right. you know, so and that's, in that yeah, sense, that's
0: uh, that's like, that's a really like, because you can talk about Kobe's inefficiency and in his style of play. Um, but at the same, like, he was playing in an inefficient era. He was playing in an era in which offensive philosophy had not caught up to the reality of the rules of the league. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I think that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, he, it was a weird era of basketball. And, you know, if you think about it, that it, it didn't make sense how they were playing to be completely honest, but it's just part of the evolution of the sport. Right. Um, But, yeah, if you put that dude now where it's like he grew up shooting threes and, you know, he grew up, you know, with the spacing to get to the rim, like I think we're talking about a different player, like honestly. Like he played in probably one of the harder eras for a player of his type um, in the history of basketball, you know, because with Jordan, it's, you know, it was the same type deal, but, you know, you you had the illegal defense that was different, but also Jordan was just – ahead of his time athletically you know especially in the 80s like there they were just not prepared to deal with the guy that could do what michael jordan could do on a basketball court physically and by the time kobe was in the league like it was you know that was he wasn't a freak athlete by any means
0: right it's you know I, i mean he was very athletic he he won a dunk contest though it's worth noting that's like widely considered one of the worst dunk contests of all time yeah um uh, yeah no it's and it's he won just the one he wasn't vince carter
1: no he was not yeah like yeah vince carter had the physical tools that he should have been better than kobe and he just wasn't you know yeah. so um yeah it's it's an interesting conversation and in the end of it like the guy won five championships and like there's a lot of what ifs in his career like obviously the shack and kobe thing um which you know i think it's those two guys, they just would not, they would not have worked long-term, you know, no. they just had different ambitions, and yeah. Kobe's the kind of guy that is not going to deal with another guy that doesn't have his ambition, you know, right. and that's just why it didn't work, and, um, you know, I think Shaq would take just as much responsibility for that now than, you know, as Kobe did, so um, it's, it's an interesting career, it's, you know, it's crazy that
0: this conversation is happening,
1: but it, yeah,
0: you know, yeah. I mean, we're. Just, this is something I saw pointed out. Um. Not a lot of the basketball greats have died, you know. No. This is. I, I mean, mean, this is a new sport still. Essentially. Will, will it's will, uh, like Pistol Pete? I guess you would say. Yeah, I guess, and like,
1: but like to me, like basketball really barely existed when those got guy, kind of guys played like when right. will played like he was being guarded by like six five dennis looking dudes you right. know like that it was not real it was like you know comparing eras is, is always hard but like
0: right but you, yeah no basketball like it's like um
1: the finals weren't even shown on live tv when will chamberlain played
0: Right. It's yeah. it's the sort of thing like there was um the like college football team of the century or whatever that the AP released. Yeah. And like I forget I've forgotten who the quarterback they selected was. I selected him because he essentially invented the modern quarterback position, but he threw like seven passes a game. Yeah. You know, and it's it's and that's the sort of thing where it's like you recognize the greatness of guys like wilt and bill russell um and pete maravich and bob Cousy, but fundamentally you're talking about those guys the same way you're talking about like pop warner right these are like these are like pioneers in the sport like there's you know they're not superstars Yeah, because they there were no basketball superstars. Basketball wasn't big enough to have superstars. Exactly.
1: People didn't know. People barely knew who they were. You know. Right. Like. Um. Yeah. This is really probably the first true basketball superstar to die. Like seriously. So. And you know, it's one of the younger ones too. You know. Right.
0: Forty-one. Just
1: crazy. Yeah.
0: For it to be Kobe is. It's. Yeah. I
1: mean that's another thing like dude any any guy you ask me like he's the last person you would think, right? Like right. He just he did seem invincible to me. Like me the Kobe fan, the kid who grew up watching him play like I I bought into all of it, you know, like he did seem larger than life and he was mm-hmm. and he still is. Um but yeah, Kobe dying is just not something that computed, you know. So
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's just, I mean, so many aspects of sports culture and basketball culture. You know, Kobe with Nike reinvented what basketball shoes look like. Like, Kobe, Mm -hmm. there's It's, there is no aspect of professional sports that wasn't touched by Kobe. Um, That wasn't, didn't eventually come to be defined by some aspect of him. And for him to die at the age of 41 is it's just not it's just not how it felt like the story should have gone yeah yep
1: um i think i've talked about this enough and i think that's probably a good place to end the podcast
0: i agree um thanks for listening to this what has almost certainly been a more somber episode of the oklahoma drill than you're probably used to Um, we will be back next week, hopefully, um, man, it'd be nice if some OU news happened and it was good. Um, (laughs) I just love to have something to podcast about that was good. Um, and which is not to say that the DeMarco Murray hire was bad, but you know, this is a, uh, it was basically the only thing that happened this week. Um, and here we are uh so hopefully we can be back next week we have some ideas for some offseason it will roll them out as it becomes relevant uh you can subscribe to the podcast uh from the apple podcast app from the google play store or on podbean uh follow us on twitter at purd happily that's p-u-r-d underscore h-a-p-l-e-y and at rw maxi um and If you enjoy the podcast, leave a review or share it with a friend.